0: So this morning we are at the uh, 7th Sunday of Easter. The 7th Sunday of Easter. Now I don't know if you realized it, but on the 40th day of Easter, which was last Thursday, May 25th, uh, that's a day that probably came and went... For most people, without any really noticeable distinction. No one thing that might set it apart from any other weekday as we went about our daily activities. In fact, we probably, most of us, went through our day on Thursday without a conscious thought of the historical and spiritual significance of Thursday, May 25th. That's nothing to be ashamed of. It's just a fact. Most of us in the world today um, think about things other than what are spiritual. And last Thursday was in fact Ascension Day. The 40th day Of Easter, a day of great significance in all of Christianity. Ascension Day, the 40th day of Easter, marking the day on which our Lord Jesus Christ ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of God. Leaving his disciples in a state of awe as they watched his ascent from the hill that we call the Mount of Olives just outside of Jerusalem. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time wrapping my mind around a man, Jesus, who was fully human and at the same time fully divine, standing in front of me, giving me final instructions and then ascending into a cloud until I couldn't see him anymore. I think like the disciples, I would stand there and stare for who knows how long. And so, as in our tradition in the church, we celebrate Ascension Day on the following Sunday, this Sunday. The Sunday following... Ascension Day and the Sunday before Pentecost Sunday. Luke writes of Jesus' ascension at the end of his gospel account in Luke 24, and then he mentions it again in our New Testament reading for this Sunday, which is Acts uh, chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. I'll read that for you now. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. See, it's a wonder that we pay so little attention to ascension in church these days. And I don't mean to imply that we ignore the ascension altogether, but rather that we don't spend as much time discussing this great spiritual event and its great significance as we probably should I mean we mention the ascension when we say the apostles creed right we say he ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the father almighty that sounds familiar doesn't it and sometimes we say the Nicene creed it says he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the father Very similar, says the same thing. But do we really pause for very long at all and talk about the significance of the ascension in our everyday walk through life? It's kind of one of those supernatural events that seems very far removed from us as we go to work every day, as we just live our lives here on the earth. I think sometimes we need to look at our own Methodist perspective on things. And this is one of those times. We need to look at our faith, look at what we believe from the perspective of our long-standing tradition as Methodists. After all, we are a Methodist congregation. And our Methodist roots run deep into Wesleyan theology. The theology of John and Charles Wesley. The study of God from the tradition started by John and Charles Wesley. And so I think it would be interesting this morning to look at the Ascension from their writings. The writings that helped us to form what we now call the United Methodist Church. So what is the Methodist viewpoint regarding the Ascension? Well, historically... John Wesley was careful to include language about Jesus' ascension in the articles of religion of the Methodist Church. If you've ever taken time to read the articles of the faith, he says in article 3, "...he ascended into heaven, and there sitteth until he return to judge all men at the last day." Men meaning mankind. Charles Wesley, best known for his hymn writing, wrote several hymns specifically to emphasize the importance of the ascension to our faith and to who we are as Christ followers. And there's one in particular that I want to kind of talk through this morning. It's it's one that I've found to be especially powerful in the lyrics of the hymn. If you care to, matter of fact, I recommend because we're going to sing it in just a little bit. Get a hymnal and turn to hymn number 312. In just a little bit, we're going to have Dell play it and we're going to sing it. And I'll let you know when that is, start Start loosening up the fingers over there. See, the hymn begins with a verse that speaks of Jesus' ministry on earth coming to a close as He returns to His rightful place in heaven. This verse affirms His divine origin, the retaking of His throne and ascending into His full authority. Charles Wesley writes, Hail the day that sees Him rise to his throne above the skies. Christ, a while to mortals given, reascends his native heaven. Now the same theme of authority and kingship continues in verse 2. Charles Wesley is emphasizing that he is in the ascension assuming the reign of his kingdom. The work of salvation is now finished. And now the governance of the world continues within the perfect will of God the Father. Verse 2, There the glorious triumph waits. Lift your heads eternal gates. Christ hath conquered death and sin. Take the King of glory in. See, while we acknowledge His kingship and His authority, we have to know that His ascension does not mean, by any stretch of the imagination, it does not mean that He left us behind when He ascended. It does not mean that He left us all alone. Because you see, from His position at the right hand of God the Father... Jesus reigns supreme over all the earth and works there as our advocate. Claiming us as his own. Loving us as gifts to him from God the Father. Did you know that you were a present to Jesus from God? Think about that for a moment. Did you know that God loved you so much that he gave you to Jesus? And he did that by giving Jesus to the world. I think you have to kind of let that sink in for a moment. You are a gift to Jesus from God the Father. And he made that possible by giving Jesus, his one and only begotten son, to the world. And so verse 3 talks about Jesus still being in relationship with us, even as he sits on his throne in heaven. See the heaven its Lord receives, yet he loves the earth he leaves, though returning to his throne Still He calls the world His own. See, Jesus is still Lord of the earth. Jesus is still our King. He will forever be our Savior. He will forever keep the marks of the crucifixion as a reminder to all of us that His work on the cross was for our salvation. They're not merely scars and wounds, but marks of honor and glory. As it says in Isaiah 53, but he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole and by his bruises we are healed. And so the final verse of Wesley's hymn reminds us that we as the church have an eternal appointment. After we fulfill our mission and ministry here on earth. And that by our confession of faith in him as Lord and Savior we are blessed. Wesley writes, see he lifts his hands above. See he shows the prince of love, hark his gracious lips, bestow blessings on his church below. And so Jesus reigns from his throne in heaven. And we can rejoice that he is there as our advocate this morning. We can depend on his continued involvement and relationship with us in a very real and tangible way through the power of the Holy Spirit who was sent to us by the Father and by Jesus Himself. And we can be assured that our belief on Him means that one day we will be there in Heaven with Him to live with Him forever. Dell, let's let's go ahead and play that hymn. I I want you to have an opportunity to kind of get that melody. It's very simple. And hear what these words sound like as Wesley wrote them. All the way through. through. Hymn number 312. stand as we're able. be seated. So just a few final thoughts as we close the message this morning. See, once the ministry of Jesus on earth was complete, once the work on the cross and in the grave was finished, the ascension was necessary. Jesus had to ascend to the Father so that the Holy Spirit could come and dwell not just with us, but in us as believers. Jesus had to ascend so that the Holy Spirit could come on the day of Pentecost, which is what we will celebrate next Sunday. Jesus had to ascend so that the rest of the unsaved world would have the opportunity to. To receive the gospel through the ongoing mission and ministry of the church. Jesus ascended, in short, so that you as the church, the body of Christ, could go out into the world and tell people about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So that the whole world, starting with this community, Might join the family of God and not perish into that eternal separation from God that is called hell. The ongoing missional work of the ministries of the ministers of the faith, the ministers of the faith, that's you. This this is what we are all about. The ongoing missional work of the church. If we read the rest of the passage from Acts, where Luke writes, When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? I mean, wouldn't you be? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So we can stand here looking at the ascension for a while, and I think it's healthy to do that. But when all is said and done, we have to bring our gaze back down to earth and get on with the mission of the church which is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And we need to be reminded that there needs to be a sense of urgency in our mission because, as Luke writes, the same way he went up, he will be coming down. And we need to be ready We want as many as possible to be ready because we want as many as possible to be saved. So what does that look like in real everyday life when we carry out the mission and ministry of the church as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit? What does that look like? Well, I think you saw a perfect example of that last Sunday. Charles Jones' grandchildren, Brooke and Evan, accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. And then after that, we baptized them the same day, just as Christ commanded. See, that didn't happen by coincidence. That happened because Charles, and he didn't know I was going to do this, so I apologize if I'm putting you on the spot, but I'm bragging on you, so it should be okay. That happened because Charles took the mission and ministry seriously and made it a priority in the lives of his family to make sure that the gospel was spoken. And so when I asked Brooke and Evan, do you want to have Jesus come into your heart? Do you know who Jesus is? They knew and they said, yes, I want that. Unless you think that the story ended there that Sunday with the baptism of Brooke and Evan. Here's something you may not know. I want to tell you how the obedience to Christ's command on that gentleman's part right over there coupled with the work of the Holy Spirit alive and well in the world today, let me share with you how the ripples of that obedience carried on and the impact they had in the world. How is that possible, Pastor? That just happened on Sunday. Well, I will tell you. Because the following Monday morning in my chapel message at the clinic, it was a shortened version of the very message that I preached here last Sunday, I preached and invited people there in that chapel to accept Jesus. And I told them the amazing events of last Sunday's baptism. And that very morning, a young lady who was there in the chapel chose Jesus. And on June 15th, we will baptize her in the chapel at the clinic. She'll have her family and friends, and there'll be clinic staff and volunteers as witnesses. And if any of you want to come into that little service, you are welcome. I'll tell you how to get there and what time we're going to do it. But we will baptize her in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And those are the ripples made by one man's obedience to Jesus Christ in teaching his kids what it means to be a follower of Christ. And then we did that and I told people about it and it affected someone in such a way. The Holy Spirit moved in her and she accepted Jesus and will be baptized herself. And that is the way it works in the kingdom. And it's not that Charles is unique in that respect. Because every one of you is a minister of the faith and all you have to do is proclaim who you are. And the Holy Spirit will do the rest. Even if you're just talking to your own grandchildren. One man's obedience to the command of Christ to make disciples of his own grandkids. Coupled with the work of the Holy Spirit. In a simple preacher's message led to another saved soul for the kingdom of God. You never know what an impact you will have on the kingdom. But one thing is certain obedience to the missional Mindset. The Missio Dei, the sending of God, produces fruit that saves people. <clears throat> Glory to God. Amen. The ascension is important that the Holy Spirit could come. That the church might be born, that souls might be saved. And all of that in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.